Alice, welcome to Snark Notes. Thank you, Callier. <laughs> Just trying to keep it real formal and classy today. So, Alice, I don't <laughs> know exactly how to start this, except to say that a, just a lot of shit continues to happen in our world. 2020 is a time. Um, it is a time. I think also <laughs> 2020 is a year where, if you didn't realize already, um, like a lot of shit has been happening in our world for like 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, you know, reckoning with that. Yes. Um so um, just in case people are listening to this in the future and don't know, um, a lot has been happening uh, recently with the Black Lives Matter movement. There's been um, a lot of protests against police brutality and just the general treatment of black people in our country, like Alice mentioned, for the last 400 years. Yeah. Um, so that all has been going on on top of the coronavirus and murder hornets and yeah, everything else. Murder hornets, man. I think I sent you like a tweet that might be one of my favorite tweets of all time. I don't remember who did it, but it was like, <laughs> it was written from the perspective of someone critiquing 2020 as if it were a book. Like they were an editor and it was like, I think we can lose the murder hornet subplot. It just feels like one absurdity too many and is distracting from the overall plot thread. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my roommate also was reading me a tweet where someone was like, um, like this season uh, of um, life has really gone uh, like off out of bounds. Like why, like what happened to the murder hornets? Why introduce them as a character if you're never gonna mention them again? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, obviously we're but, laughing about things, but that's just, I think, because of a situation where things are so difficult that you got to find the laughter when you can. And if, you know, I think it also says yes. where we're at as a world, that like the murder hornets are the place where we can actually laugh. Nice <laughs> comedy. Yeah. But I think, um, on a serious note that maybe we wanted to start this podcast by saying um, that we firmly believe that Black Lives Matter. Yes. Um, and uh, we wanted to acknowledge that um, maybe oftentimes, uh, maybe more so than we realized, uh, stuff that we talk about on this podcast is really centered around white voices and white people. Um, we are white, um, but that's not an excuse. And so, uh, we wanted to use this podcast today to talk a little bit about uh, why Black voices and culture are important um, and maybe make some suggestions um, for culture that you can consume if our normal cultural consumption is something that you like um, and sort of uh, make a promise to try to do better in the future to include uh, more of those voices. Yeah. In yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, and we don't want this to just be like a one-off tokenist bullshit thing. Like we want this to be something that we do a better job of in general um, and that we kind of like continue to consume uh, content created by black uh, creators and other creators of color um, because there's so much good stuff out there um, and it's not even that, it's not difficult to find. It's there and it's great. And we wanna do a better job of like bringing that into the podcast. 
Um, before we do dive in now, I think it is important to like, um, we've kind of touched on, on like in the abstract, some of the stuff that's been going on, but I think one of the things that this movement has done a good job of is like making it a little less than abstract, right? Unfortunately, there have been some very, very big tragedies that happen to real actual people that shouldn't have. So just like to take a minute to like honor the lives that have been lost recently, the lives that have been lost, you know, for, you know, 400 years now um, because of this system of, uh, you know, systemic racism that our country has been founded on. So like, just to take a minute to um, kind of like honor George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and so many others um, yeah. before we kind of dive in and, you know, kind of go in a slightly different direction. Yeah, definitely something that's important to do. Okay. Um, yeah. I think we, like a lot of people right now, are just trying to figure out uh, like what concretely we can do to make a difference and to help. Um, this is just one small thing of this small podcast that we have with a small audience is um, one small thing that Alice and I specifically can do. Um, so we're trying to do it. <laughs> And actually, like before we dive in, there's there's one thing I I feel like it's a good transition for us. Maybe it will be like okay, you know, it, you know, I I kind of took us to a no, it was good. I yeah, yeah. we needed to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like in terms of when it comes to like being an ally, which I think especially when it comes to like anti-racist work is something that unfortunately I've struggled with a little bit in terms of like okay, like, I'm this white girl, I recognize I have privilege, but like, what's the next step? What do I do? And like, that fear of like, saying the wrong thing or doing the same, doing the wrong thing, or that like, mm -hmm. guilt that comes with the realization that like, just by the yeah. virtue of like, my skin, I'm given certain opportunities that other people don't, like, that can be like, very daunting. Um, mm -hmm. And I went to a talk a couple years ago, where someone... Um, Francesca Ramsey um, said to think about allyship if you're like a white person, to think about allyship as Destiny's child <laughs> um, and that you are the Michelle Williams. Maybe you're even like the Kelly Rowland. You are not the Beyonce. <laughs> Black people are the Beyonce and you should be like in the background doing what you can to like, you know, kind of make their voice sound even better, get it out there, you know. And like, but you're, you're in the background, like doing the same moves they're doing, but really to kind of amplify them. And I like that always is, like stayed with me both because it's like, you can just totally picture that. And it's like hilarious and aptly observed, but because there's so much truth to it. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel is like good. this is our chance to be the Michelle Williams. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Kelly Rollins of yeah. the world. I think, well, you know, yeah. just, just exactly like Beyonce has never done anything wrong in her life. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think like along with that, like there's going to be mistakes and bumps in the road. Like there were for Destiny's Child. Um, yeah. We're not going to yeah. do it perfectly. We've probably already said something not perfect okay. um, in just starting this podcast. But um, I think 
the biggest thing like that I've been trying to remember and maybe like uh, when I have conversations with other white people about being an ally, uh, try to encourage is like, don't let the fact that like it might be uncomfortable or you might be wrong or you might not be doing it right discourage you from trying to continue doing it. Um, like I know personally, I posted the black square and then I was oh, like, yeah. was that the right choice? Was I like, should I delete it? And like had a panic attack, <laughs> no. but like, you know, like we're going to do stuff that's not completely correct. And, um, you know, maybe isn't as helpful as it could be along the way. But like, I think that if your intentions are to help, um, and you just keep trying to do better, like yeah. that's all. And that's a, what, you know, people can ask from you. Like, it's not going to be perfect at first because we've grown up in this weird system, um, you know, so to unlearn all of that and to figure out how to be helpful, I think, you know, is, is going to be a challenge, but that, I mean, that's all things that are good are a challenge, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's growth mindset this shit and, you know, Woo-hoo. we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad that you were able to bring it back to Beyonce. <laughs> I mean, I was very proud of that. Beyonce. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think um, before we give like specific recommendations, um, we kind of wanted to give an overview of why including diversity in the media and like culture that you consume is important. Um, that may seem obvious to some people, but maybe there are people that uh, for whom, you know, you are just starting to think about this stuff now um, since this is going on in our world. And I know I've seen like on Instagram and other places, there are a ton of like anti-racist reading list or TV shows you should watch or whatever. Um, and so yeah, I think we just wanted to maybe talk a little bit about why that is important. I don't know if you want to pick us off, Alice, on that. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. So obviously, you and I, uh, especially, are people that are like formed very much so by the media we consume, right? Like, how many conversations <laughs> do you and I have where, like, if someone had never watched TV or read a book, if they had just like, if they were an alien that had an otherwise human experience but had never consumed any pop culture or literature and like came and joined one of our conversations, they would probably <laughs> understand like maybe ten percent of what we were saying. Um, <laughs> So like, obviously it's something, it's a framework that you and I have built as a way to kind of like discuss the world around us and see the world around us. And we've probably taken it more to the extreme than like certain people. But I think everyone is very much shaped by the things that they consume, the books they're reading, the TV that's shown, the movies that are shown. Um, And unfortunately, when it comes to movies, awful representations of black people um, and like upholding of white supremacy has been there from the very start. Um, So like we might end up talking about this documentary a little bit further on. Um, The documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay um, kind of goes into this a little bit as they kind of, uh, as she kind of documents the rise in the prison industrial complex. But she mentions how way back in 1915, one of the very first movies out there was The Birth of a Nation. Um, And that was in 1915. It was one of the, it was a silent film, but it was like three hours. It was the longest movie that had been made at that point. And it kind of ushered in this like 
period of storytelling. And it was the movie that uh, ended up kind of glorifying um, the Ku Klux Klan and actually was the thing that like that reinvigorated the KKK. Even like the KKK ended up taking things from that movie and bringing it into that movement. So that's like a horrible example of how media can inform the world that's around us. I think Mm -hmm. on a better end of the spectrum, media helps us kind of get a view of a different experience than ours. Um, So like one of like the better examples of media, like allowing people to get a, you know, to get an insight into people that live a different experience than they do is actually like the TV show, Will and Grace. Will and Grace was um, a sitcom, God, when? In like the early thousands, late nineties. But it brought, um, it brought kind of like gay men specifically into like the standard American home. And people were able to be like, oh, like Will and Jack, like I love Will and Jack. And people have talked about like how much that actually ended up doing for the gay rights movement. Um, so that's kind of like a couple pieces. Then there's also, sorry, I'm ranting. This is very much my soapbox. There's also the importance of representation, which is not something that you and I have ever really had to worry about. I remember once when I was reading the Harry Potter books, I was like so like relieved when they got to book five because there was like finally a good blonde character with Luna Lovegood. And before then, all I'd had were like the Malfoys and the Dursleys. And I was like, oh, finally. Like, that's horrible. Like there are so many blonde white girls out there that I had to like rely on. And like the very first instance where I didn't have one, I was like, oh my God. Goes to show how important it is. Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. Like I, you know, as someone who like had grown up very much accustomed to having that, like to not have it even just in one series, I felt it. So like, what about uh, like black and brown children all around like that are growing up and not seeing representation in like some of our biggest movies, our biggest TV shows, et cetera. That makes a difference. Anyway. I will well, no, I think the, the soap box. <laughs> no, it, I think it reminds me of um, in the TV show Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. Um, there's a scene um, with her uh, friend slash love interest. Um, isn't it Dong? Is that his name? Okay, no, I need to look it up. But um, uh, he, um, she has like a like rich uh, white boyfriend, also love interest person, and he's like trying to tell some story. And um, this character goes, "Your experiences are not universal," um, and or like your references are not universal. And it's such a great. Uh, just like a joke or reminder that's also really the thing right that we are taught as white people that our experience is the default normal and we are taught that content that is created for like done uh, content that is created by black creators and other creators like other non-white creators is not for us and that (laughs) is true like it was not created with us in mind sometimes but also like fuck that like there's that doesn't mean we shouldn't be consuming it just because it was created to like showcase the white experience does not mean that we should not be consuming it and that it's not great content and there isn't like a ton of stuff for us to learn and enjoy from that content or reflect on 
Right. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, two things. So not to bring this back to Beyonce, but Love it. so like, oh, there was a time where they came across this like Facebook conversation on my feed. This was like several years ago. Um, actually, it might have been um, it might have been during the lemonade era. Mm -hmm. And so there were like all of these like boys, white boys that I went to high school with. Um, well, I didn't go to high school with them. I swam with them. Anyways. That were like talking about how they don't like get why people love Beyonce so much and they don't get Beyonce and like they like they don't think she's that great and whatever. And it just really made me angry because I'm like, maybe not everything is for you. You know what I mean? Like maybe Beyonce is not for you. Like you ever think about that? Like the whole world is not just like created for your consumption and like just because you personally don't get it or don't like it or don't understand it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value or isn't good but then also number two like I think what I've always really loved about reading and about storytelling in general so I would include like tv and movies and that storytelling is that it allows you to like enter another world right like and obviously like specifically fantasy is like what people normally think of when they think of that but I think that it also it also includes like different worlds like you and I are never going to know what you know like we're never going to be able to live the black American experience but we can get you know some insight or a window a small window into what that might be like or what that might look like by reading a book right or by watching a tv show um, and I think that like when you only consume media or culture that, you know, is your own reflection and, you know, is created by and showcases people that look exactly like you and have your same background, um, you're like missing that opportunity to like learn and to get to like, I don't know, it sounds stupid, but like travel somewhere else. No, right? that's so true. <laughs> that actually reminds me, there's like this, um, I was reading an article with um, Lynn, it like an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's the creator of mm -hmm. Hamilton. And he said something, I wish I could remember the exact quote because I just loved it so much. It was something like the ability to create new worlds and engender empathy using only words is the closest thing to magic we have. Um, <laughs> And I it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like, it, yes, it's very easy to think about that in like the fantastical sense, but it doesn't have to be fantasy. Like any good work of fiction, any work of nonfiction even has the opportunity to do that. Anyway. Um, yeah. And I think the last point that we kind of wanted to make along with that um, was just that I think like we mentioned previously, there have been a lot of um, like anti-racist reading lists going around. Maybe you're not as nerdy as Alice and I, so maybe um, you haven't, I've seen like 1 million of those and they're great. Um, there's a lot of like great suggestions out there for things you can read or watch or listen to, um, you know, during this time, especially if you are, you know, trying to be a white person on who wants to better understand your own privilege yeah. like we are. But I also think that when I try to think about how we can continue that work in the future, right? Like we're all in this sort of intense Black Lives Matter moment, but like, what does that look like a year from now or five years from now when maybe this, you know, sort of large um, intense moment has passed? Like, how do I continue to do that work and continue to make sure that um, 
I'm hearing those voices and incorporating them into my life. I think that the answer is to try to make sure that the things that are important to you, the hobbies that you have, the media and culture that you consume includes diverse voices, right? And that may be occasion you're going out of your way to read you know read a book by a black person or um you know listen to a podcast that has um black voices on it you know things like that um you know to sort of like intentionally make sure um that you're including those diverse voices in your everyday life Uh, i was talking with my roommate earlier about um like she's really into personal finance and she runs like a personal finance blog on instagram so like one way for her to do that, you know, that you and I are going to continue to read, right? But like one way that she might do that differently than us is like, maybe she tries to follow, you know, more Instagram accounts that are like personal finance accounts made by black people or people of color, right? Um, Or maybe, um, you know, like if you're like really into sports or whatever, you try to like diversify that or the athletes that you follow or care about. Um, You know, so like, I think that's the way or one way that we can kind of continue to do that work is to make sure that like, this isn't a momentary flash in the pan. This isn't a like, well, I read white fragility once. So now I'm an expert and my work is done. Yeah, right? Like, I, got, I got my like anti-racist certification. <laughs> I'm going to put it on the resume. Um, no, totally. I think, like, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think that's one great way to kind of sustain this moving forward. I think just continuing to look for opportunities to like educate yourself in addition to consuming good media and also looking for places where like, if you have the means to donate, like to do a recurring donation, that's another great way Mm -hmm. to do it. I recognize that not everyone's going to have that means, but like that adds up if more and more people are doing that. Um, But no, I think you raised a lot of great points. And I think to kind of like help summarize it, it's, it's when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're not just talking about Black bodies. You know, like so often in our history as a nation, like Black people have been reduced to bodies, right? Like, uh, especially Mm -hmm. like in the slavery days, but like, let's be honest, that's like kind of continued on and on. We're not just talking about like their physical life. We are talking about, um, when we say Black Lives Matter, we're talking about their voice, their art, their point of view, their perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. And we should do what we can to kind of uphold that and to incorporate it into the things that we're consuming, um, which has the added benefit of like enriching our perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, Alice, do we want to get into our lists? Yeah. How do you want to do this? Like, do you want to just ping pong back and forth where like you, yeah. you talk about I think something we, and then I talk about something? Yeah. And I think we're going to try to keep it um, like pretty brief. So we're not, you know, you know how we could talk for, like this podcast could be three hours long if we like really get into each of these <laughs> recommendations in depth. But I think maybe we just start with books um, and we kind of toss them out there um, and we can go back and forth. Um so yeah, so my first book recommendation um, is called You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Need to Explain by Phoebe Robinson. Um, Phoebe Robinson is a comedian. Um, she's part of, uh, it's a podcast called Two Dope Queens and oh, yeah. um, it's her and her, her friend. And, um, but yeah, this book um, was a delight. It's like personal essays, which I'm a huge um, fan of <laughs> in general. Um and yeah, like there, there are some um, that are very specific to, you know, racism and what it was like for her growing up. Um, 
you know, being black and then specifically like going to high school and college and being one of the only black people, um, you know, in that academic setting. Um, but there's also just fun. Like I really enjoyed, there was a whole section of letters that she write, wrote to her niece. Um, I listened to it on audiobook, So like, that was also enjoyable just to like, cause she's a comedian. She does a really great job of reading it. Um, but yeah, would highly recommend. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Um, so also in kind of like the letter writing tradition, my first book recommendation, if you haven't read it, is um, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. This is actually one that I need to reread because it's been a couple of years since I read it. Um, but it's written, um, He's he, the book is written as a long um, letter to his 15-year-old son, kind of talking about like, his experiences growing up and then what it means to be a black man in the U S today and was written in 2015. Um, and it is written kind of, uh, to mirror or like take on kind of the style of James Baldwin's the fire next time, um, which was written in part to, I believe his nephew. Um, so it's kind of in that tradition of, um, you know, like uh, someone who's been through it, writing to educate someone who's younger, who unfortunately is going to have to go through it. Um, and by the end, I mean, the realities, the traumas, the difficulties of being a black person, in this case, specifically a black man in the United States. Um, it's beautifully written. It's very powerful. Um, it's also pretty short. Um, as I said, like, this is one that I'm hoping to like pick up again. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's one that I've seen a lot of places and like had on my list and I need to, um, I need to get on that this summer. Um, all right. So my next book one is called My Sister, the Serial Killer. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's by Oyin Ken Braithwaite. Hopefully I said that right. Um, but it was a delight. Alice, you know how I love me a good thriller. I do. Um, and so, yeah, this um, takes place in Nigeria and the main character, as the title already tells you, um, thinks that her sister is a serial killer. And so it sort of goes into like, their relationship and, um, you know, like what the sister's issues are and, um, you know, how their lives are sort of intertwined and what are they going to do about it, etc. Um, so it was, yeah, like I read it super fast, like really quick in a day. It was just, just, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a perfect example of finding something you love and just like running with it. <laughs> yeah. And it was like totally different than, yeah, like something, you know, I've, there are 1 million British crime thrillers out there. Um, so this sort of, yeah, took all of the things that I love from that, but yeah, had a new voice and a new perspective. So. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to group two books together because they're by the same author. Um, but last year I challenged myself to read 52 books in the year, um, which I just barely accomplished by including like Of Mice and Men and a couple other short You ones. did it. Though. Yeah, that's right. Still counts. <laughs> yeah, still counts. Um, but two of the books I read through that were by um, an author named Colson Whitehead. Um, one is called The Underground Railroad. The other is called uh, The Nickel Boys. The Underground Railroad um, follows an escaped slave as they make their way through uh, the Underground Railroad. I believe the character's name was Cora. 
but he builds in some fantasy elements to it so that like rather than being the underground railroad as it actually exists it's like an actual railroad so that was really good but then i really loved it was heartbreaking I guess that's a spoiler. <laughs> no worries. No, it's um, yeah. Um, I really loved The Nickel Boys, um, which is set in the 1960s. And it kind of follows the journey of a young um, Black man who is picked up by the police and then put in a juvenile kind of like reform school um, that was not very much not a school. Like We're basically talking about like a prison and it's about his experience there, um, and it's based, um, the heartbreaking part is it's like based on an actual reform school in Florida um, that basically later on they opened, uh, they were like digging on the property, I think, and they found just like a mass grave of, um, Shit. yeah. He's such a great author, just incredibly powerful everything he says like it's one of he's like one of those authors where his books aren't long like they're really easy to consume but like you've been taking in so much information and so much emotion as you read um i would highly recommend both of them but i would especially recommend um the nickel boys Good. Um, it's like uh, just really adding all these things to my list alice um <laughs> um yeah, so um, sort of, I think in a similar vibe, because it, it's like semi-historical, maybe now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, my next book would be The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Okay. I recently picked uh, that up a few months back um, because Toni Morrison passed away. Um, and it made me be like, nah, I, um, need to go back and reread some of her stuff. Um, because she's kind of one of those authors that like, as an English literature major, like read in college, but I feel like I didn't get to like enjoy reading, you know what I mean? Like you had to read it for, for class. So yeah, it's, that doesn't mean it's not enjoyable, Kelly, but like, sometimes I felt like rushed with stuff like that. But anyway, so um, yeah, The Bluest Eye was Toni Morrison's first novel. Um, it came out, I think, in like the very early 1970s, um, but it is set in the 1940s um, and it follows around a young black girl, um, you know, sort of just like is about her day to day life. Um, and so, so one of the main themes of the book is that she really wishes that she could have blue eyes and blonde hair and like that that could change. Um, and that she thinks that that would change her life. Um, and then, um, yeah, just sort of follows her story. Um, and some of the really difficult, terrible things that happened to her. Um, it, uh, it's, first of all, anything Toni Morrison writes is like reading a novel that's also poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, it, she, it just, I don't, I can't comprehend how, as a girl that says like too much, how <laughs> she is so like eloquent and um, yeah, it's just so easy to consume because it, it it's, yeah, it feels like you're, especially if you, I'm a huge audiobook person and like listening to the audiobook, it's almost like you're listening to poetry or like a song or something. Um, so the imagery and the words themselves are, you know, really beautiful, but also really powerful. Um, you also gotta, you know, like give a huge shout out to any books that are, have been at some point on the band book list, yeah. um, which this one was, um, for a time in a lot of places. Um, 
you know, if they got banned, you got to find out why, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I love that. Um, yeah. So my next one um, is another book I read last year, um, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, which is a book I had mm-hmm. always meant to read because, like, I'd heard it mentioned in so many yeah different contexts. And I really had no idea what it was about, but I was like, Ooh, it's by someone named Alice, (laughs) you know, like I, and I like knew who Alice Walker was, but it was just like forever on my list of like, Oh, I should read that one day and just like, didn't read it. Um, so last year I finally read it. Um, and it was, it's just beautiful. It's, it's written, I think it takes place in like the early 1900s in, in the South it follows the life of a girl, uh, a black girl named Celie, who's born kind of like poor, uneducated, like if not unloved, then definitely underloved. Um, and like the one person she really has in her life is her sister, but then her sister um, goes away and it's it, it ends up just kind of following her marriage, the relationships she forms um with like other women it has it does a great job of like exploring the different relationships that you can have with different women whether it be friendships or uh, there's also like a romantic aspect to it as well um where she gets to kind of like explore her sexuality and find like love with like a woman and it's just beautiful um and I would highly recommend it and I sound like a broken uh, record there but highly recommend and also (laughs) Also, Kelly, you're going to love this. There's a musical. Oh, isn't there also a movie with Oprah? Yeah, there is a movie with Oprah um, and Whoopi Goldberg. And I believe it won some Oscars or at least was like nominated for some. I've actually never seen it. But I have listened <laughs> to the musical oh, soundtrack. Yeah. I may have actually listened to the musical soundtrack before I read the book, because you know me. If there's a musical soundtrack out there, I will listen to it. Um, and it is beautiful. This is the one contention point in our friendship is musicals, other than the time that you got really mad at me because I didn't want to admit that I was the JVN of our friend group okay. at first. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar. I did. I was trying not to be selfish. I feel like everyone wants to be the JVN, and I was trying to like be diplomatic and not just like automatically claim the JVN. What we were talking about here is the only time Kelly and I have ever really gotten into a fight, and the one time I've ever been like legitimately pissed at you (laughs) because you and I like to do this thing where we'll choose fictional characters or like a fictional world. Or in this case, like a real world queer eye and try to identify like who we are or who our friends are. And you and I like are like stay in touch with about three other girls we went to high school with. So we were like five people. Let's figure out who our queer eye people are. And I was like, well, Kelly, you're obviously JVN. Kelly's like, oh, no, I'm not JVN. Literally half an hour later, we talked about this for half an hour. And Kelly was like, actually, 
I knew I was the JVN the whole time. <laughs> I just feel like, doesn't everyone want to be the JVN? So then, like, just to claim it like that, just right off the bat, but like, just felt rude. I was trying. So many opportunities. <laughs> like, it wasn't just that you were like, oh, I'm not the JVN. And I was like, okay, girl, you're not the JVN. I was like, um, are you sure? You feel like you're the JVN. <laughs> I just feel like it was, it was one of the more heated conversations of which character are you? that we've had and again I was just trying not to claim the JVN right away right I think that was actually maybe the last time that we (laughs) like that was about a year ago and I don't know that we've had another conversation of like oh what what character or what person are you (laughs) because you could spend the rest of the night being like I can't believe you Okay. Anyway, because you're always exasperated by me. Anyway, but you love me anyway. So uh, okay. Yes, I'm not always exasperated. Only when you have to acknowledge that you're the JVN. Um, okay. <laughs> well, after this delightful sidebar, do you want to continue on to movies and TV? Wait, I have, yes, I have one more book, though, that I just wanted to chuck in there. Yeah. Um, so there's a book called Allegedly uh, by Tiffany Jackson, and it it, oh, it you know okay not to bring it back to normal people because I think we have discussed normal people <laughs> but this was a book where uh, I hated all of normal people and then the ending really like ruined it for me I loved all of this book except for the ending no, no. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about it to like not completely spoil it okay. but like the, the basic premise is that there um you meet um this young 15 year old black girl and she has spent the last like eight or nine years in jail um because she allegedly killed a white baby that her mom was babysitting um so now she's like in a group home and she's sort of trying to like figure out where she goes from here um you know like she's actually really smart so she's like trying to figure out how she can take the sat and try to go to college and um you know so like all along you're sort of trying to figure out what what really happened did she really kill this um baby um you know and it's sort of um you know there's aspects of like the untrustworthy narrator in there um but um, it really sort of takes a look at, yeah, like, what is it like to be in a prison? What is it like to be in a group home? Like, how have um, societal expectations, um, you know, of what it means to be a Black girl and what it means to be a little white girl, like, played into this um, specific situation? Um, so really interesting. But if you choose to read it, just fair warning that you might also be angry about the ending. Okay. Okay, well... I think that's actually one of the great things that can come out of this is like all the books you just listed are ones I have not read. Um, Yeah. Same. Yeah. So I think there's like a great opportunity. Obviously we've told you guys a little bit about what these books are about, but there's such a great opportunity for us to like read each other's lists and then like have a whole episode devoted to, to them as part of our effort to make sure that it's not like, Oh, great. Alice and Kelly decided to talk about, like, you know, like, Black media and Black, uh, like, Black creators, like, one time, like. Yeah. Yeah. We do a follow-up. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, do you want to move on to TV and movies? Yeah, sure. Um, I can get started with TV, yes. a TV show. Um, okay, so Living Single um, started in 
August of 1993, a full year before Friends did. It followed a group of uh, young-ish professionals in their like late 20s to 30s, um, living in a brownstone in Brooklyn. Um, and it starred Queen Latifah, um, mm -hmm. and it had a bunch of other great actors and actresses, um, including, uh, I think it's like Kim Fields and Ale Erica Alexander. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's following these six black friends. And then, so this is, I'm actually going to talk about this for a little bit longer because it just needs to be talked about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this premiered in 1993. In 1994, Friends hit the airways. And like in between that time, the president of NBC had been asked, oh, if you could have any show that's on the air right now on NBC, what show would you want? And he said, Living Single. So is that a coincidence that a year later, they created basically the white version of Living Single? Probably not. <laughs> um, not at all. It's not at all. <laughs> nope, not at all. And they actually shot on the same lot on like, I guess they were both shooting with Warner Brothers. Um, and some of the actors have talked a little bit about how it was really discouraging to see that they weren't getting kind of like just even little things like the same level of like craft service or like the same um, dressing rooms or the same, you know, kind of like respect that they were seeing like friends get, even though like friends was like basically just a rip off of what they were doing. And now <laughs> years later, people are like, like D David Swimmer did an interview where someone asked him about like a reboot of friends. And he, was, he said like, I think it would be great if they did a reboot of Friends with an all-black cast. And God lover, Erica Alexander, who plays um, um, Max on the show, who's also, by the way, my favorite character on the show, was like, um, did you just not know that Living Single existed? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a great sitcom. Like, it is a sitcom from the 90s. So certain things you're like, ooh, yeah, that's from the 90s. But like, it's a great sitcom, great characters, and it's worth watching. If if you like, it's worth watching Baseline, but especially if you love a good, um, oh, they hate each other, but then like, will they, won't they type romance. There is a great romance between the character of Max and the character of Kyle that is straight up Benedict and Beatrice, like much ado about nothing oh. shit, which I love. And they do such a good job with it. And there's so much like comedic, Oh, oh my God. Like, yes. Like the, the, the lines, the physicality, it's amazing. Like just watch a couple episodes, but especially watch for Max and Kyle because they are amazing. <laughs> and I will stop talking now. No, I, I love it. Um, all right. Well, I'll have to check that out because like the books, that is not something that I've watched. So, nice. um, all right, so the, my first TV recommendation, I think is also something that you have watched. Um, and it is Dear White People. Yes. Um, you can watch it on Netflix. Um, so basically, Dear White People, um, it, sort of like a group of friends, um, but like really the main character is Sam. Um, and she is a college student at what is sort of like a fictional Ivy League school called Winchester. Um, and so she like does a radio show um, at where she like frequently sort of addresses the racism that happens on the campus. 
Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, um, delightful. If it's funny, it's engaging. Like I really cared about all of the like characters and sort of the ins and outs, um, you know, of like their different relationships and sort of the different, um, like, I don't know if you'll call them stereotypes, but like, um, it sort of like had all of those like stereotypical characters that you think of in a sitcom mm. when there's like, you know, like a cast of friends. Um, and, but like, a cast of living um, single. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The cast of living single. Um, yeah. And like you said, like, there's a lot of, you know, like romances and like, will they, won't they's, but like, um, they sort of address, I guess, these big issues, um, you know, in American culture, you know, surrounding racism and black culture and, um, you know, those things, but um, in a way that's like approachable, um, if that is a fair thing to say. No, I, don't think, know if you have I think to add fair. to that. Yeah, no, I think it's, this is a great recommendation. It also, before it was a TV show, it was a movie. The movie is worth watching as well. Although like it definitely covers some of the same ground as the first season. So you might pick and choose. Um, although honestly watch both. Um, but no, I totally agree with that. I think it's a great show. I do think it's made to be accessible. And I think part of the reason it's called Dear White People is to get over the whole like, oh, like this content isn't for me. It's very clear that it's like, yeah. no, dear white people, sit down and listen. <laughs> like sit yeah. down, shut up and learn. Um, and I think it did like receive even some, like, you know, some like, criticism um you know for that sort of like is this created for the white gaze or like who is this for um but i mean i think it you know even if it is you know partially or 50 50 you know meant to engage a white audience i think it still does so in a way that um you know like brings power or attention to black voices so I think it also does a good job of showing how just like, you know, just like with white people, like within white people, people have different experiences. It does a good job of showing that there is no one universal black experience, which is like, I think what you were kind of talking about a little bit in that like people are coming from like different backgrounds with different values, et cetera, um, and different perspectives on like what needs to happen at the college, but also like, you just see a range of different experiences as people are like figuring out their lives. And for the main Mm -hmm. character, some of that is coming from a family where one of her parents is white and one of her parents is black and like feeling like she has to like really define herself as a black woman. Um, But like for other characters, um, like they're coming at it from like a different perspective. And I think it does a Mm -hmm. good job of just, yeah, showing. Yeah. because yeah, like you're saying, like because it is like uh, you know, it's like a supposed to again be like maybe an Ivy League school. So like there are like really wealthy black characters, and there are you know kids that are there on a scholarship, or you know like um, there are kids that come from different backgrounds. Um, yeah, you know, so it's yeah, sort of gives you sort of yeah a range of that experience. Yeah, there are some there are some characters that are very much trying to succeed within the established system, like trying to carve out spaces for themselves, like within this like established university or like within like the Mm -hmm. white world of pop culture even you have other characters 
who are like very much like, no, we want to destroy this system. Um, so they do a good yeah. job. Yeah, it's a great TV show. Yeah. Um, do you have another TV or movie? Um, quickly, I wanted to talk about 13th. This would be an example of like a more like, this is part of your education. <laughs> um, but I, honestly, I honestly think everyone should watch it. Um, have you yes. had a chance to see it yet? Um, yeah, I've actually been meaning to rewatch it because I watched it like two or three years ago, maybe even more now when it came out. Um, and I, yeah, it's been kind of making the rounds again, um, with everything that's going on in the world. And it, it, I, I remember it being hugely like powerful. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of eye opening, um, because that whole, you know, the, our prison system, because I'm a white person and a lady, like, is not, um, you know, something that I like have any experience with whatsoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was really eye opening to learn about it and how it all, I actually prior to watching that did not know that for-profit prisons were a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot there. I think, I think you're right. Like as, as white women, we haven't really had to think about like the prison system beyond like, oh, it is there to protect us. You know, if we think about it at all, it might be in that context. Um, but no, um, so like the documentary done by Ava DuVernay, um, looks at specifically the 13th amendment, which was the amendment that abolished slavery. But within that event amendment, there is a loophole that says that basically slavery or kind of like, um, or, or like involuntary servitude, I think is the exact language, um, mm-hmm. is still allowed and permissible, uh, for like people who are in prisons. Um, so it talks basically about how after the, you know, after the 13th Amendment was in place, um, the prison system really kind of became the new form of slavery. Like slavery yeah. didn't completely go away. We, that, we now instead had like the prison system as a way to kind of keep the black population, particularly in the South, but other places as well, under control to like kind of preserve white privilege. And when I say under control, I really mean underfoot. Um, And so, or like under our foot. Um, So um, yeah, it was really interesting because it talks about how um, in the United States, like the United States accounts for 5% of the world population, but our prisoners account for 25% of the prison population, which is insane, also Mm -hmm. insane. We went from having uh, 357,000 prisoners in 1970 um, to 2.3 million in 2014. 2.3 million, like we're we're like we're talking like from a third of a million to 2.3 million. That is insane. <laughs> um, and it really talks about like how that happened and how that grew and links it to kind of law and order rhetoric in politics and ha- and it acknowledges how that was on both sides. Like it's something that on the national level at least may have started with the Republican party, but it's something that the Democrats contributed to in the early nineties. And what it's led to is that when it comes to our prisons, not only is our prison population insane at this point, um, but also the things that we have in place mean that 
black people are imprisoned at higher rates, specifically black men. The stats there are that one in 17 white men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. For black men, it's one in three. Um, (laughs) And so that even though black men only make up 6.5% of the US population, they actually make up 40% of the prison population. So it kind of, you know, not only does it have a bunch of things like that where you're like, what the fuck? I how yeah. did I not know that? But it also does a really great job of showing how we got there and bringing in a number of voices actually from both sides of like the political aisle to explain that process. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I, it, yeah, it was definitely, it's a wake up call. <laughs> um to watch that and yeah like re- like hear some of those numbers and think about what that means for people in their real lives yeah. um it's startling yeah that's the word else <laughs> yeah. it definitely it definitely is and like the realization that like like that i always knew that on some level like you know i I'm aware enough of systemic racism and white privilege to know that black people are incarcerated at higher rates. I had no idea the exact numbers though. Like if you would ask me like what, you know, what what those stats were, I wouldn't have been even close. And I absolutely had no idea how much the prison system has grown in just 40 years. Like I had no idea. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it sort of, yeah, I think adds a lot of um, information and depth to something that maybe you're sort of, you know, generically aware of, um, or culturally aware of, but um, yeah, kind of having the hard facts is unsettling. Yeah. And then, so I actually, this was kind of, I believe my first introduction to Ava DuVernay and it was a Mm -hmm. uh, documentary, but she's also been like a director of like a number of movies, including the most recent, um, a wrinkle in time movie. And I loved that book growing up. So like now I'm like, Oh, I should check that out. Like I should check out some of the other stuff she's done. I love a wrinkle in time (laughs) with Oprah. Oprah. Yeah, and Mindy Kaling. And Reese Witherspoon. And if that isn't like it's, a solid trio of witches, I honestly don't know what is. <laughs> it's so true. Um, yeah, which, yeah, not speaking of Mindy Kaling, I really wanted to sneak um, her newest show, Never Have I Ever, onto this list. <laughs> it's not Black people, so I won't include it and I won't go into depth. <laughs> just a shout out to Mindy Kaling. Yeah, I think we should we should talk about Never Have I Ever at some point because, or maybe just yes. Mindy Kaling's shows in general at some maybe point. Just Mindy Kaling. Okay, um, okay. so I had one more. Um, it's a movie recommendation. Uh, I'm not sure. I think you've seen this, um, but it's Get Out. Yes, I have. Um, amazing. So good. Um, and um yeah so it's again you i love a thriller (laughs) so um that was sort of what originally drew me to it um yeah it was sort of um the fact that it was like a suspense um movie um but so it basically um tells like the story of chris 
who is a black man and his girlfriend who was played by Allison Williams. I can't remember what her actual name is in the movie. Yeah. And they, um, she brings uh, Chris home for the weekend for the first time to meet her parents um, or that's what he thinks is happening. And then like, as he is there, um, other things start happening and he starts having like interactions um, like with someone who appears to be like a gardener or like a groundskeeper at their house and like a maid um, and another guy at a party. Um, and then it's like slowly revealed that uh, really something else is going on. Um, and there's another reason that he's there. So I'm not going to like spoil it. Um, I'm not revealing the ending because um, it's definitely worth a watch. Oh my God, the ending is so... Yeah, there's like one specific scene that I really want to be able to talk about at the ending, um, specifically the Fruit Loops. Maybe we should just do a full episode on Get Out um, because like I just feel like there's a lot that we could talk about because I also remember reading a whole article about the various things that they uh, um, incorporated. Well, that's Jordan, Jordan Peele, who... Um, is the director, um, and I think he also wrote the screenplay. Um, like, I feel like this movie, and then I don't know if you've seen Us. No, because um, it just looked a little scarier. <laughs> um, it is, like, vaguely scarier. Um, but, yeah, like, he's just really good at incorporating, a, like, a lot of, like, metaphors and sort of, like, Easter eggs and social commentary um, into something that, fe- like, feels like its own unique story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we should definitely do an episode about this because I really want to talk about the free loops, <laughs> but also some of the other like imagery that's like going on. Um, yeah. Also, little known fact, uh, uh, Erica Alexander, who plays Maxine Shaw, attorney at law in Living Single, is in Get Out. Oh. Detective. Oh, circle. Killing. And honestly, <laughs> you know how there are like these actors or actresses, not to make this all about living single, but you know how there are like some actors and actresses who will watch in something, particularly like a TV show, and you'll uh-huh. love them and you're like, this is an amazing actor or actress. Why the fuck aren't they getting more roles? Erica Alexander yes. is on that list. So to see her and get out just made me so happy, but also <laughs> angry because she should be in so much more shit. <laughs> so true. So true. On the flip side of that, like, well, although I guess like, like Allison Williams, like is one of those people that you're like, you're only here because of Brian Williams. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Say that, like without getting into details, like she plays that role so fucking well you know like like Alison Williams in real life either has to be the nicest person ever or like absolutely terrifying yeah yeah and that's it that's all that there is to it yeah um but yeah I would recommend watching us it is slightly scarier but just like shout out to Winston Duke um who um plays um Lupita's husband in that movie love him he's great um maybe I just 
loved him in that movie. <laughs> I thought that I was just going to like be like, oh, let's go on to podcasts. Um, because like the two movies I talked about, I like, or like TVs, shows and movies, I went into way much, too much detail. Um, but something that wasn't on my list that I'll just give a shout out before we go to pod- a podcast. If you have not watched Black Panther, watch Black Panther. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Speaking of Winston Duke, what are you waiting for? Exactly. Michael B. Jordan. I mean, I. Yes. Yeah. Check it out. Even if you don't, even if you're not like a superhero fan, like you'll love it. It's great. I'm not. I'm not a big superhero person, and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, actually, I think um, the actor uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. um, like who yeah plays the main character in get out he is also in black panther oh that's right also not to just bring it back to other things we always talk about he was on skins <laughs> ah! <laughs> back in the day he like had a bit role on skins, and he was he was also like a writer for, for skins oh, oh my god fucking i love it it's just so great okay um, okay, yeah, so our last, um, like, category of culture, I guess, was, um, podcasts. Um, so this is when I just make the deepest shout-out, um, to Keep It, um, which is a podcast that I listen to every Wednesday. Um, I look forward to it. Um, it's, it's, um, like, dare I say, I was, like, sort of similar to this podcast. They talk a lot of, about a lot of pop culture things, but also, like, current events, stuff that's going on. Um, and then every episode ends with a section that they call Keep It, where, like, they'll say keep it to something um, current that's, like, happening or going on that they just don't want. <laughs> um, so, like, this week you might say keep it to J.K. Rowling. Oh, fuck, yeah, um, totally. You know, something like that. So um, it's delightful. Um, it's hosted by Ira Madison III, who is also a delightful person. Um, and who also, um, sidebar, he had a cameo in the second season of You. He played a hipster at a party that Penn Badgley was at. Um, but, so um, yeah. So, and then um, co-hosted by um, Aida Osmond and... Um, uh, then Louis Fertel, um, who's also delightful. Um, so it's just, it's just great. Um, if you're looking for, um, black voices, two out of the three hosts are black. Um, and then also if you're looking to maybe incorporate more queer or LGBTQ plus voices into your regular consumption of media, they're super funny, super delightful. They often have like kind of new and fresh perspectives on stuff that's going on in pop pop culture. So whenever something happens, I'm always like excited to hear what they're going to have to say about it and like what their take is going to be on it. It's just um, all around. I would recommend a listen. Nice. I think I only listened to one episode because you sent it to me. It was like the one on you when you were like, you have to listen to it. And I enjoyed it so much, but not, I need to get actually like, I don't know, subscribe or whatever. The thing that we're always yes. telling our listeners to do. I need to do that for, for, for Keep It. All right. Oh, did you have that I do, I do. Um, so Small Doses by Amanda Seals. So this is one of the things, as Kelly mentioned, like there have been a lot of great like lists going around in terms of like, 
things you should check out to like broaden your view or educate yourself. And this was part of a Google doc called Justice in June, um, which was created by Brianna Wallace and Autumn Gupta. Um, it just has a list of just like a lot of good movies, uh, articles, podcasts, et cetera, and does a good job of breaking down like, oh, okay, if in the month of June, you have 10 minutes a day to engage and like learn to be a, like a better ally and to be anti actively anti-racist, this is what you can do. If you only have 20 minutes, if you only have 45 minutes. And that's how I found Small Doses, which is a podcast, as mm -hmm. I said, created by Amanda Seals, uh, who is an actress, a comedian. She's on the show Insecure, which is another show that I've been meaning to check out. I just have never <laughs> fully gotten around to, but now I definitely plan to. Um, and so this podcast obviously like predates Justice in June, but it's like how I found it. Um, and so Justice in June recommended like checking out a couple different ones, uh, a, a couple different episodes, but the one I specifically wanted to talk about here um, for our white female listeners, of which I would kind of guess a lot of our listeners are, <laughs> um, <laughs> is the episode um, Side Effects of White Women. So all of the episodes are like side effects of something. Um, and so cool. in Side Effects of White Women, Amanda Seals kind of breaks it down and she talks about like how in her head, in her view, there are two different categories of white females. You have women who are white, and then you have women women who happen to be white. Um, and actually, let me pull up like a quote, because one, amplifying black voices, but two, like, obviously, she's going to say this so much better than I could. Um, she said, um, people who happen to be white are people who do not adhere to the false notion that white is indicative of supremacy. However, they understand that with whiteness comes privilege, and so they use their privilege to give those who don't have access to it access. And then she says, on the other hand, white people are people who believe the notion that their skin color makes them better. Um, so like, and she goes into it in more detail. Um, and I just think as we look to be allies and not just allies, but like active allies or like accomplices, as I heard it once said, um, <laughs> there was a, a woman who does um, some great work around um, kind of like inclusion and diversity and equity around Massachusetts named Nikki Turpin, who said um, at a talk I was at, she was like, I don't want an ally. I want an accomplice. I want someone that will like pick up that sword and like jump into battle with me. Um, so I think as we like work to become better accomplices, like to keep this in mind. Um, but I also think it's important as I, as I was reflecting on it, it really does feel like it's a process. Like it's not simply enough to, to like know that your whiteness doesn't make you better than another person. Um, because if you're not, if you're not doing something to like actively dismantle like systemic racism, like you are kind of complicit because you are, you, even though you might not think that you are better because of your whiteness, you are existing within a society that is treating you better because of your whiteness. And so if you're you don't the world. Oh, the world. Sorry, what? <laughs> you 
you're the Ivanka Trump of the world. Yeah, like honestly, at the worst, you're maybe the Ivanka Trump. But also, if you're just like going about your day to day life, right? And I'm reflecting on myself here, and it's like, oh, like that's horrible, and oh, I want to do something, but you don't always take the action to do so. Or if it, if you just get like swept away by like you know the pleasures and distractions of day to day life, like. As I said, like, this is a process. And I think as, as women who should aspire to be women who happen to be white, like we have to remember that this is a process, especially because I do think part of the reason that, that everything has been so amplified right now is actually because of the pandemic, because we don't have the distractions of day-to-day life in the same way. Um, it's like unfortunate, but part of privilege is the fact that you can go about your day-to-day life and you can for kind of forget about the systems or push them to the side in favor of like that thing you have to do for work or like meeting up with friends, you know, it's just easy to like kind of forget about it or like not actively right. work towards it. Anyway, right. she says all of this a lot better than I ever could. <laughs> it's a great, it's, it's I've only listened to a couple episodes, but I've really enjoyed every single one. It's given me a lot to think about. So again, I would highly recommend checking it out. Sounds good. Um, cool, cool, cool. Well, this is not very long, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully enjoyable. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners, we advise all of you to check out some of the things we mentioned, check out other stuff. Like there's a ton of stuff out there, like find, find media that educates you, but also just find, you know, media created by black creators and other creators, other non-white creators that like excites you um, and work to become an active accomplice um, and always be a Michelle Williams. <laughs> always. <laughs> you are the Kelly Rowland of your dreams. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay. That's it. <laughs>